<coughs> Podcast Network Asia. Um, I always knew she was Filipino because for as long as I can remember, she would tell us, you're Filipino and you should be so proud of that. Today we speak with April Whirl, a first-generation Filipino-American artist and muralist. She tells us about her Montana upbringing, as well as how she uses her identity as a Filipino-American to drive her art, including merging Montana landscapes with Visayan motifs. She shares how she continues to unpack what it means to be Filipino and why it was important for her to follow her inner voice to become an artist. This is Partially Pinoy, and we are powered by Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics. April, the first question that I ask all of my guests is, how did your parents meet? Okay. (laughs) So my dad is from Montana and he's white and he was a Seventh-day Adventist church member. And my oldest aunt was 20 years older than my mom and she had already been living in Montana. Um, with her husband that she met in the Philippines. Okay, so you had an older, you had an aunt who married and met her husband from Montana in the Philippines. Yeah. Okay, and and what's that story? Because I got to hear that. (laughs) Yeah, he was in the Navy. She worked near base or something, and that's how they met. They went to church with my dad and they knew that he was looking for a Filipino wife. And my aunt just kind of took advantage of it. And she's like, you can um, stay with my family in the Philippines and I'll show you around. My dad was talking to like a couple Filipinos, um, just like pen pals. And then she was like, by the way, I have a younger sister And so my parents became pen pals, but my mom actually didn't speak any English or write any English. So my mom was just copying the letters that my aunt told her to write. Okay. Okay. So what, why Filipino women specifically? Um, I honestly, I don't know. And like, it's definitely something that I feel really weird about. And like my parents aren't together anymore, but he did like he went to the Philippines. He never met any of the other women he was talking to. He met my mom and she was, I don't know, like she's super gorgeous. And he asked my grandpa if he could marry her. All of my uncles and my grandparents were like, you should really consider this. And so she did. She actually wanted to be a nun. She never wanted to get married. Then she moved here and she had three stepchildren and then, yeah. And then they had me and my little sister five years, seven years later, and they ended up getting divorced, which is for the best. (laughs) Wow. I I feel like that story right there, we could unpack. Okay. So your, your mom was in the Philippines living there. She didn't speak any English. So so tell me about that transition. Do you know anything about how she transitioned from that life to moving to the United States and and now having to confront the language, the stepchildren, 
and, and all of that. Yeah, it was really, really hard for her. She did have a community, a Filipino community here already because my aunt had been living here for a while and there were a handful of Filipinos. So she had like people to speak. She learned Tagalog when she was here. Actually, she didn't know it before, but she had her sister living here, which was a support system. And um, she had a niece and a nephew here. So she wasn't completely alone. She like she was um, a janitor for her first job here, and now she works as a CNA in the at the VA. And like life is like much better for her now. Wow! What language did she speak before? Cebuano. Uh, Cebuano. Yeah. So she had to learn Tagalog here, which is yeah. amazing, and then also English. And she went from that transition. Sounds like over time, she just kept going and probably has a very inspirational story. She is so resilient. Yeah. Okay. So you and your sister were born and how many years were your parents together before they divorced? My parents uh, were together for 10 years total. I was almost five when they got divorced. And then through that, like my mom was terrified that she was going to be sent back to the Philippines without us. And luckily, like they expedited her citizenship. So she was naturalized when I was five years old. And she was naturalized before or after they got divorced? After. After. Wow. So again, I, I could probably have a really interesting and long conversation with your mom. Tell me about you know, those first moments that you realized that, you know, your mom was Filipino and your dad was white because as mixed children, we, our parents are just our parents, you know, we're not really thinking about their color or their identity in that way. We just think of them in the context we know them to be. And so how did you come to start realizing that your mom was Filipino? Um, I always knew she was Filipino because for as long as I can remember, she would tell us, you're Filipino and you should be so proud of that. And I, that was her way of like preventative care towards like microaggressions and like helping us just like have, you know, the, the proudness and the strength to like deal with that. But my dad wasn't really, he wasn't really a parenting parent. He was in our lives, but they had very different parenting styles. My dad's super conservative and my mom's not. And I remember like one of the last fights they had about parenting me was my jeans. My dad didn't want me to wear bell bottom jeans. (laughs) And after that, I don't, I can't remember why he just stopped trying. He really let us be Filipino like anytime that he would take care of us for like a few hours after school like my mom actually made our dinners and they were always like Filipino food and he got to eat those dinners too so she was still like making him dinner even after they got divorced you know I don't know much about Sabano food but was she is that primarily what you grew up with or what one might find in Manila thinking of like the more conventional standard Um, Filipino fare? 
I haven't really noticed a huge difference in the cuisine. We eat a lot of pancit and lumpia and sinigang. And then a ton of food I don't even know. Like how um, bulad, I love dried fish. And <laughs> so you were exposed to Filipino culture beyond just your mom because there was that community and then also your family. And so that I would say was probably a huge blessing to just have that support, right? Yeah. So I actually, I didn't start having identity issues about being Filipino until I was in high school because I always knew I was Filipino. And I grew up in a community where all the children were Tisai or Tisoy. Um, Tell me what that means. It means mixed, but I think that it means primarily mixed with whites. So like we weren't different than any of the other kids. We were all the same. All of our mothers and like specifically mothers were Filipino and our dads were white. Okay. So when I think of Montana, not ever having been there, I, you know, automatically think that it's a very, very white community, but sounds like you were in a specific or special Montana pocket that we never hear about. Yeah. There's Filipinos everywhere. (laughs) And I feel like the more I travel, the more I realize that. And, um, like at the, when I was growing up, there were maybe like 10 Filipinos, Filipino women in the community. And now there's got to be like 50 or more in Helena. I live in Missoula and I'm just starting to meet the Filipino community here. And I've lived here for seven to eight years now. Tell me about those early days and your exposure to art and then the passion and the talent for it, how that developed. So we've always had paintings in the house because my mom worked two to three jobs during most of my childhood. I was the babysitter of my little sister and she mostly just hid in the bedroom the whole time because she didn't want to be bossed around by me. (laughs) We spent a lot of time like learning about white culture through movies and TV and learning about life in general, actually. And I also just spent my time at home writing and drawing. So you kind of found that as an outlet, like the mm-hmm. writing and the drawing was, was an outlet for time spent by yourself. So wh- when did you kind of say, this is something I want to pursue? These are the tools. You know, I have children and I sometimes go to an art store and I just get so overwhelmed because I don't even know where to start. Should I get the pencils or should I get the pastels or should I, you you know, and, and, and how, how does a child actually get exposed to this? So I'd love to hear those, those kind of those early days. I don't know if someone like gifted us something and my mom just kind of noticed that we really liked it or what. But I started off with just pencil and paper and I would draw things around the house and I would try and draw portraits. And that's really where I started. Oh, and then we had those, I don't know if they make those anymore, but the velvet in the line drawings, like they give you like a set of markers, but we used to get a lot of those and, um, and that got us into like coloring, but 
I thought in middle school, I had an art class and my teacher pulled me aside and said, have you thought about going into an art field like professionally someday? What grade was this? This was sixth grade. Um, And I said, no, my mom wants me to be a doctor (laughs) or a lawyer. And because my mom started that off really, really young, telling us what we should consider being as adults. Then we came to the conclusion, architecture. A good blend of like an artistic side and a more mathematical side, for sure. And a stable job. (laughs) And a stable job. I have a friend who's an artist, she's an illustrator, and she just was always drawing as a kid. Like I met somebody who'd known her as a little child and she would draw on people's clothes. Like she, she just, it was like just sort of bursting out of her at all times. Was it similar for you? Was there a point at which you, you thought, gosh, as a young kid, because I'm sure as an adult, you had to make that choice. But as a young kid where you thought, this is what I want to do more than anything else in the world. No, actually, as a young kid, I was really passionate about writing and dance. I danced in high school and I didn't have like anyone to like take me places like for practice and stuff. And so it wasn't really like a fostered thing. And the dance team at my high school was free and like we carpooled a lot. So we just, I just made it work. And then after I graduated, like the lack of performing kind of like killed that passion. With writing, I had, that was like the first art form that I'd really fostered growing up. And I still have like all the journals of all the stories that I wrote. And they're like really, (laughs) it's just so embarrassing for myself to like read those. But I remember like starting to date in high school and my boyfriend really liked to write too. And I just like felt this weird comparison and realization that I kind of struggled with the English language a little bit. Like I definitely felt like I had a handicap. I stopped writing after that. You realize that the words and sentences that you wanted to form were limited in a way. Is that what you would say? Like, was it more about like, hey, I want to really express, I want to express this in a in a specific way and I can't do it because I, is that is that how it was or... Um, I just had, I started to realize that like all these words that I didn't know I was saying incorrectly or just like having like a lack of vocabulary compared to like my white peers. I started to realize that in the end of high school. What was that uh, racial makeup of your high school? I think maybe there was a um, Filipino kid there at the time, but our parents weren't that close. So I didn't know him that well. So like high school is pretty lonely. (laughs) There weren't a lot of mixed kids and the diversity was very, very slim. You had mentioned earlier that it was really in high school where you realized that you were half. And so tell me, tell me how that realization of your identity 
came up and what, what those initial moments were like, and then how, how you dealt with it early on. My best friends growing up were white. Like I had never felt so different or so disconnected from white culture around them. I didn't spend very much time with their families. They like mostly came over or we like met somewhere um, like the park and my, my first best friend growing up, she, um, her dad uh, was Australian. So we related on like having a parent that was from somewhere else. That was nice, but I didn't really realize the way of being half white until I started dating and spending time with like white families. And I realized that I was just so, so curious and that it was really foreign. Like, what do you eat for dinner? Um, what it like? What does your family time look like? And um, and I was kind of obsessed with it for a while. We'll return to our show and hear more from our guest in just a moment. I think that one is a really loaded one, and I think with my own future kids, like I know that they're only going to be an eighth Filipino but that doesn't make them any less Filipino than me. This show is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia, powered by Podmetrics. Podmetrics takes care of the details so we can focus on making the best content for you. Visit podmetrics.co and sign up for free. Use code PARTIALLYPINOY. Only because I'm so interested in education, I wanted to ask you about, you know, what you said earlier about your writing. I would love, love, love to hear why you think that, you know, your mastery of the English language was different from your classmates. I still love writing, but but now it's just for me. And I remember in middle school, we'd have to do like... Um, we'd have to read aloud and someone would tally all of our mistakes in the way that we were reading. And I would find it so hurtful when I like said a word wrong that I had no idea that I was saying wrong. Do you think it was a difference in schools? It was a difference in exposure. It was difference in like, what do you think it was for you? No, we, I went to the same schools primarily as like everybody that I had started school out with. It was that my mom had learned English just right before I started to learn English. And so having learned my language from my mother, I, I think I felt a little resentful of feeling kind of behind when I was younger. But, um, but now I realize like, Sorry, I'm trying not to tear up. But I'm just so thankful now because I realized that she speaks three languages fluently. Sometimes it's just still really hard to talk about it because I think a lot of people of color are used to talking about this stuff. Do you feel like for you, you're just starting out to really unpack this through conversation versus through art? So I only started unpacking this through conversation last fall. 
it took a long time to be able to talk about it at all without getting choked up. Now I feel like I can, but sometimes little things just kind of set me off. The triggers can run so deep when you're just coming to terms with who you are. I think sometimes when you get to this point in life, part of what's painful is that, you know, you grow up with one perception. You have to sort of confront that maybe this existence was different from what I thought. When I was growing up, we, for some reason, I don't know if this is a Filipino thing or just my family. My mom is Iranian, which is actually kind of rare to have like the dad who's Filipino um, Uh in the mix, but we called lamps, lampshades. We just, we just called them lampshades. And so then we came to America and it was time to buy a lamp, but we, we just went to the store. My mom and I, you know, I was 12, maybe 13. And we're like, we want to buy some lampshades. And, uh-huh. and then we realized they were called lamps, which is so interesting because it's such a common thing. Or when I came from the Philippines, if I hadn't heard an American pronounce the word, I didn't know how to say it in an American accent. So words like tortoise, because Filipinos mm-hmm. pronounce that tortoise. Even after years of being here, because nobody used the word tortoise in a sentence, after five years, I was like, tortoise, like, h- how do you actually say this word? I don't know. And so I can imagine uh-huh. that if you're in a home, maybe where it's, it's that kind of stuff, right? Like those types of like subtle things, maybe. Was it similar to that, like that kind of stuff? And Yeah, it was definitely like, like we said, kuntar instead of guitar. And then a really common one is comfortable instead of comfortable, like words like that. And then also, and then the English was very simple in our household. And so that was something else that I felt like I lacked, like knowledge, accessibility to like larger, more robust words, because we didn't use them. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've acquired all of that and then some since then. So (laughs) April, tell me, okay, so you were in high school, this art artist in you was starting to sort of uh, emerge. How did you make the decision to actually pursue this? Because this is a hard, this is a hard field to pursue, period. Even if you have, even if your dad was like Van Gogh, you still are up against so much to be. Oh my an gosh! Artist, if you're, right? <laughs> yeah, if your dad was Van Gogh, you'd be screwed. <laughs> we want to say hi and big thanks to the guys from Kumu. Kumu is a Pinoy live streaming app where you can tambay with Filipino streamers and celebrities. Use our link in the description to follow some amazing Kumu streamers. It wasn't something that I ever thought was an option. And I had not really, I took a art class my sophomore year and I was going into my senior year and at a job fair, I asked an architect like what his number one advice for my senior year would be. And he said to take more art classes. And so I did and I fell in love with it again. And I, my first charcoal was an old man. I was really into realism. And it ended up winning um, an award at the art museum in town. And I remember being at that opening and just 
looking around and just loving the energy and just feeling like this is where I want to be. And the um, summer before my freshman year of college, I was freaking out because I realized I didn't know any architect other than Frank Lloyd Wright. So am I actually interested in architecture? And so I went and I just did it because I didn't feel like I had any other options, especially because my mom was like so set on us doing like the classic path to success of like going to college, getting a stable job. Like I went to architecture school and I didn't take any of my family's calls for like a month. I was skipping classes and I was going to the health center on campus every single week because I was just puking randomly. And I realized it was just because I hated what I was doing. I was just so depressed that I was like ill from it. Wow. And the architecture program that I went to is like actually a really good one. And most students sleep in studio because of how much work it is. I ended up sitting in the health center one day and I just started crying and I just knew instantly that this was not where I needed to be. So I didn't even go to my appointment. I went and withdrew and I packed up my dorm within five hours and moved to Missoula in with like my boyfriend that was living here. Um, And I started art school the next semester and it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. (laughs) And I think my mom was just like, she was okay with me going to art school because she just, she just wanted to talk to me and wanted me to be healthy. Yeah. It's hard as an artist and a creative to deny those parts of you that really want to come out and you found it early. I found it later. I, I was always a creative And I did follow a more conventional path and, you know, had a corporate job as recently as 2019. And, you know, but all the time, just feeling deeply in my heart that there was a creative world out there. And it really does make you depressed when you feel in your bones that you're meant to do something other than what you're doing. It's misery. It's misery, April. And also the town that I went to school in for architecture was actually even less diverse than the town I grew up in. And that had a huge part to play in in why I was so unhappy. What city was the school in that you went to? It's in Bozeman, Montana. Okay, so you decided you wanted to go to art school. You started going... Tell me about the temptation it would have been for me anyway to like move to New York, move to LA, or even like a big city like Manila. Like, did that ever come up? Like, oh, like artists move to New York and LA and big cities. So I always did want to, but I was in Upward Bound in high school because I was the first one in my family to go to a four-year college. I decided to stay in Montana because I got some big scholarships if I stayed here and they transferred with me over to to the um, other state school when I when I moved. I'm assuming that art school is really about learning the basics, the theories, 
like all of the different forms? And then do you kind of hone in on one as you get closer to graduation? And then, and I'm sure you're also encouraged to tie that into what you know, to your identity and who you are. And so tell me about like putting all of that together. The program here is very conceptual rather than traditional. So we didn't really learn how to create rather than have discussions around what we were making. So I ended up getting my BFA in drawing, but I'm a painter and I didn't start painting until like my last year of college. (laughs) But in like, in my drawing class, we had a performance class too. So literally it just like, we weren't drawing anything. We were performing, but that was my drawing, my like last level drawing class. I started making work about being biracial my BFA year. And that was a really uncomfortable experience because like, as we've already talked about, Montana is very, um, is very white. And I was having these critiques with, with a very white graduating class. I was getting a lot of feedback saying like you're not black you're not indigenous I don't get it like why why are you struggling or are you just like wanting attention and the reason why I decided to make work about being biracial is because I had studied abroad my junior year in Malaysia and I had gone to the Philippines by myself to go celebrate my birthday with my family was that the first time it was the third time So I'd gone as a really little kid that I can't remember. And then we had a family reunion in 2010 and we were there for 10 or for six weeks. Then in 2016, I went by myself for a little bit, but I was trying to make work that was responsive to um, people not like identifying me as Filipino or being unreceptive of me saying I'm Filipino and just like making work about being um, half white. And so I made these large paintings and I had taken photos of myself in studio and they were in black and white and they were, I edited the black and white balance so that in one version I was as white as possible. And in the other version I was, like all the melanin was as visible as possible. And so I was collaging those photos of my body into these abstract, colorful scapes. And my work has kind of just evolved from there. I was like really uncomfortable with the way that those critiques went though after school that I actually completely dropped the racial identity conversation in my work for a couple of years. And when I was traveling again in 2019, I started bringing the figure back into my work. And then last fall, I had a mural commission that wanted to highlight BIPOC muralists. And I had a lot of these types of conversations with other BIPOC in our community. And that kind of begin the next cycle of me trying to visually explore what being biracial is and explore what being Filipino is because I haven't actually explored that part of my identity and my artwork yet. 
Okay, so it sounds to me, April, like you began this journey of exploring your identity through art in college and then stepped away from that briefly because of the comments that you were getting and then stepped back into it. And then now you're taking it a step further because you're tying it into a very specific part of your Visayan identity. So can you tell us a little bit about that approach and that method? Now I'm trying to bring in Visayan patterns. And specifically, I've been looking at Visayan Batok. In Visayan and uh, some other tribes, our ancestors decorated their skin in tattoos. And if you didn't do this, you were considered to be unseen by your ancestors. And you would get these tattoos for accomplishments. So the Visayan people were raiders. And so men would get a new tattoo for like accomplishments affiliated with that. And then um, I read somewhere that women would get tattoos uh, based on like some of their sexual um, accomplishments. And that could be, I'm not told, I haven't read too much about that. So I pull these patterns from charts that I've found of design-specific tattoos. And I just use those to inform the patterns that I use in my work. And those normally decorate the sides of my paintings because I paint on wood. And I'm trying to find a way to start bringing those in to the front imagery so that I can work with those in my murals in the future. So batok is not a technique. It is it is this uh, practice that you're then trying to apply to your eyes. It's the practice by people of Visayan descent. My, my dad, actually, his ancestors are Visayan as well. Tell me what you've learned about Filipino art. I think there's just so, ma- so much out there that we could be studying and learning and buying as well. So, so tell me about that. And I'd also love to hear who are the people who are most touched by your work and, and what you're finding as far as your, your buyers? In terms of Filipino art in the Philippines, I've been really struggling to identify what that looks like on its own. And like all, most of the research that I'm finding is that the, like the waves of the European um, like, um, styles were present in the Philippines too. So they were painting in the same styles that were happening in Europe. So it's really hard to find pre-colonial work. And I'm actually, I've like met a few historians on Instagram and I am loving Instagram for that. And they've been like sending me articles to help me do my research. And I haven't been researching for very long, just so I'm, there's still so much for me to learn. But in terms of like who I've been connecting with in my work, uh, I think in November or December, I found the Filipino artist, um, the Phil Am Artist Directory. And they are a project that is connecting people of the Filipino diaspora, I think specifically in the U.S. together and sharing resources. And then you can see people that like are working maybe in the same vein as you 
And I've met a lot of amazing artists on there. The way that I measure my success in art is if my mom likes it. <laughs> I, I remember in college, she started to like it because the colors, because she was very upset that I had moved away from realism. But now she's finding that she's relating to it on the imagery that I'm using. When she saw the first painting I did with the Baha'i Kubo and the Filipino sun, she called me and she was just like raving. And now she wants me to paint her a painting for her living room because she just got a new set. And I think like that is really, really cool because I, I think a lot of us can relate about our Filipino parents like wanting us to go down one path and just kind of tolerating it if we're not. But I think she's moved on from tolerating it to being excited for me. I just signed a contract in February for my first solo museum show. And, um, and she was like, I'll make Wimpia <laughs> for the opening. <laughs> oh, she's like really come to embrace it. Yeah. Is this in Montana? It is. It's actually, it's actually really, really special to me because it is in, it's the art museum in the town I grew up in. So my community can be there. And then it's also the museum that gave me my first art award. Wow. Full circle, full circle moment for sure that you were there and you felt those powerful emotions of being in that right energy for you. And then now you get to, you know, you get to feature all the work that's blossomed since then. Did, Did you feel like this emotion of catharsis upon finding other Filipinos and connecting to that community and artists and creatives and all of that? Um, Find catharsis? Or maybe not catharsis is the right word, but how did it feel to connect with this larger Filipino community of both artists and, and creatives in general? It's been really healing because I've been realizing I don't look as white as I have thought that I'd looked for so long. And I'm meeting people of like all different Filipino walks of life in the US and Canada. It's really helping with my self image. And I'm realizing like the pressure, I'm learning Cubano by the way, and the pressure to speak my language like has decreased because I'm realizing you don't, have to speak it to be perceived as Filipino. Personally, learning it is helping me feel more comfortable and feeling comfortable to participate as well. Uh, Do you feel that, you know, as you dig deeper into your identity through your art, that you are discovering parts of yourself that you didn't know existed I was really touched by something you said in your video about how your art makes you feel more like you. So tell me about that. Yeah, I think that if it's the video I'm thinking of, um, David asked me, why do I make art? And I was stumped by that because I literally don't know what else I would do. (laughs) I've been a full-time artist for a few years now. Um, And I've built my entire life around that. Like I've made sure that 
the way that I live my life is not too expensive so that I can be a full-time artist. Like I am really passionate about traveling and that's how I got into murals was um, my first few murals. I traded, I bartered for housing and food and, um, and they paid for my supplies. And I just went from like hostel to like Airbnb and just painted murals and traveled that way. Wow. So there's literally nothing else that you can imagine yourself doing. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, And then, you know, to wrap up, how do you view your identity now? You said that you had just sort of begun connecting some of the dots of, of your life and your childhood. Tell me how art has either been healing or tell me about coming into your own and everything it means to you to be a person of both Filipino and white American heritage through your art, or maybe it's separate from your art, but I'd love to hear about, so where you stand now on your identity and also how you might wish others who are going through what, what you are or went through what you did, you know, like what advice would you give them I think where I stand now is there was a lot of work that I had to do in the last six months about my own internalized racism. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I see that as the way that I see myself and my community. Um, and that is something that internalized racism is something that I have learned Um, from my own community and from outside of my community and um, and I I feel like I've progressed so much there like I used to look at my hands and kind of wince a little bit because they looked like my mom's hands and um, and I love my mom so much she's my best friend but that was something that like I would notice when it happened and I would feel really confused about because I didn't have like the language or really knew that that was a shared experience with anybody else. Um, And I feel like the work I've done helped me understand the root of that. And now I like celebrate my hands because they look like my mom, (laughs) my mom's. Um, But it was things like that. Um, I feel really confident now about telling people that I'm Filipino and not feeling like I have to explain that, especially as I progress with learning Cebuano. And I'm like, I want to learn Tagalog eventually, but I feel like because I'm consuming so much Tagalog media right now that I am just already learning it at about a similar pace as I am with Cebuano. And, um, and plus I, like any of us have heard it our entire lives. So it's like, not like we're, to- we're starting from total scratch. Um, and then in terms of art, I feel like my art practice is bridging a lot of these gaps within communities. Um, 
it's given me the confidence to finally meet the Filipino community in the city I live in right now. Um, and it has given me the confidence to meet Filipinos all over the diaspora and have something in common to talk about. Um, like I said, uh, the Philam Artist Directory has been a huge resource. It's so important to connect with that community that is going to be part of the path of like finding yourself. You know, I, I ache for my own kids because although they've been exposed to a lot of Farsi and a lot of Tagalog, they don't speak it in the way that I did. And, and I know firsthand what a difference it makes to speak the language. So it kind of verifies to other people, oh, you are Filipino because you're speaking a Filipino language to me right now. Yeah. So tell me about any advice you'd give to someone. Just imagine a teenager kind of coming into that space of, of realizing what it means to be a minority or truly a different or, you know, mixed race in America. Like what are, what are your thoughts? I think that one is a really loaded one. And I think with my own future kids, like I know that they're only going to be an eighth Filipino but that doesn't make them any less Filipino than me, you know? And that doesn't make them less Filipino than their Lola. They are Filipino and they don't have to prove anything to be Filipino and to identify as Filipino. But then there are ways to make that self-identity easier. I've been cooking Filipino food. We eat Filipino food every day in our household. And that has been a way for me to share my culture with my partner. And I have started to teach him little words as well. So I think that like, if you feel like you want to connect with your Filipino identity or your other identity other than white, then to start with learning how to cook, learning how to say more words, maybe reading authors I think we're speaking in the context of Filipinos. So there are a lot of Filipino-American authors that are amazing. And there are a lot of Filipino-American artists or Filipino diaspora artists. And just like consuming media. Like I, um, a couple months ago, went through my Instagram and cleaned it out and switched it over to following a ton more people of color. And that has helped in so many ways that I can't verbalize quite yet, but it's helped in the way that I see myself. It's helped in the way that I feel comfortable in other spaces. And it really just diversifies the narrative of what I'm seeing and scrolling on hours a day. Wow, I love that. And it's such a simple way for someone to connect more with a community that actually supports who they are. That is how I get my news on like the Filipino diasporas, like through Instagram. And you're so much more aware of what's going on in your community by following people on your social media that are in your community. And honestly, I don't know if I would have known anything about what's going on with the AAPI community before the shooting if I hadn't cleaned out my Instagram 
And now I have this entire support system too of people to call on. Amazing. Including me, I hope. Um, What's your relationship with your dad? um, He is, it's very, very complicated. Um, Like I said earlier, he's not really a parenting figure. He's just kind of been in my life. He became an artist when I was 20. And so that's, that's been healing for our relationship because we've always butt heads because I'm a very spiritual person and he's a very religious person and I'm okay with him being religious, but he's had to work very, very hard on me being not religious. Then he's also extremely conservative and has to, he's like, he's come really far. Uh, We've like worked on just not talking about certain things when we're together and him being an artist now has allowed us to find a common ground and have a relationship. This is the power of art. Art is healing and it's something that every person needs to have in their lives. April, I've been so touched by your stories. Thank you for not only sharing them, but sharing them with such depth and and vulnerability. And I hope that everyone who's listening follows you, follows your own journey. And how can people stay connected to you? Um, Instagram is kind of the main place. It's at April Whirl, W-E-R-L-E. And um, and then also I love getting emails, like non-spam emails. And it's just april.whirl at gmail.com. Partially Pinoy is a Podcast Network Asia production in partnership with Bridger Media in Los Angeles. Our show is developed and executive produced by Leila Jerusalem. The series is produced by Nikai Lucanias. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.